We're beginning our study today, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter of the book of Genesis. We started last week just for one second after we kind of introduced our vision there. But uh, today I am praying for our church that we'd come to understand Genesis. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't understand Genesis, so we don't really have the foundation and the fundamentals of the whole rest of the Bible. On Christmas Day in 1968, three astronauts on Apollo 8 circled the moon for the very first time. As they were going around behind the moon before they returned in that trajectory back towards Earth, they were on the dark side of the moon. And as they came around the dark side of the moon, they came into the light there. And on the horizon, they saw Earth. In all its splendor and all its glory, in the, in the pitch black darkness of space, they saw this beautiful blue and white round globe called Earth. They were speechless. There was only one thing that could capture truly the awe and, and the inspiring, thrilling, magnificent observation they had that day. Some of you were alive then. Some of you may remember what they, exactly what they did. But you know what they did there? As they saw the earth for the very first time coming around the backside of the moon and seeing the earth and all its splendor and glory there, they pulled out God's word and began reading God's Bible. He said, in the beginning, the astronaut read this, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. They were overwhelmed with the majesty of earth and what it looked like there in the middle of space, that dark space, that beautiful, beautiful space. I want you to know this morning there's no other way really to approach the book of Genesis than to realize we have a great and awesome God. There's two, two primary purposes for the opening statement in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. First and foremost that we need to identify that the Bible identifies who the creator is, is God. The second reason that, uh, and the purpose for that opening statement is to explain the origin of the world. You know, it's interesting God doesn't give this introductory statement with an apology. doesn't give it with watered-down verbiage. He doesn't go into great depth and explanation about the verse, even to, the signify, and to signify that he is truly God. He doesn't explain it. He makes a statement, in the beginning, God. God created the heaven and the earth. What we see in this opening statement is the power of God's truth. I want you to know that as we read that statement, we have one or two, churches to read, one or two, one or two choices to read the whole rest of the Bible. I either believe this Bible to be true, or I don't. In the beginning, God. On the very first page of Scripture there, the Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God, and it keeps us there throughout the whole Bible. The Holy Spirit was there as well. If you look at the original language of the word God there, it's Elohim. And that verbiage, Elohim, the word that they use to describe God in there, it's, it uses it many times in the first chapter of Genesis here. But it's plural, and you know what that means, right? In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were all three there. And not just at the beginning, they were there obviously before the beginning. You know, it's interesting here, as God proclaims that he is the creator of all things, heaven and earth, it's no wonder that Satan hates this chapter. He's brought out heavy artillery to discredit these truths. There's probably not a single line in the whole book of Genesis that has not been questioned at some one time or another. Why is there such controversy over Genesis? Why is there such controversy over the whole Bible? Genesis plants the foundation here for the entire rest of the Bible. But why so much controversy? I'm here to tell you that the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil wants us to not understand who God is. 
the entire purpose of the devil attacking the Bible, attacking the doctrines of the Bible, the theology of the Bible, is that he can change the image of God in yours and my heart and our mind. You know, it's interesting that throughout history that people have attacked the Bible, not understood it. Many of you from your history remember Thomas Paine. He was a famous Revolutionary War author. And he wrote some of these lines. You'll probably recognize these lines. It says, These are the times that try men's soul. He wrote this as well. If we do not hang together, we will surely all hang separately. But Thomas Bain, for all his eloquent writing, for his intellect, wrote this about Genesis. He says, Genesis is nothing but an anonymous book of stories, fables, traditions, and invented absurdities. This brilliant man of his age thought Genesis was a waste of time. How sad. There's so many people today that look at Genesis and realize, hey, it must be just a bunch of stories and fables. The entire Bible they write down is just a nice little narrative of life. As Christians, why is Genesis so important to you and I? Some of you were here when we did it, but uh, for a number of years we were involved with the Bible reading marathon down in the state capitol on the three days prior to the National Day of Prayer. What we did is we gathered people that would come down and commit to reading the Bible for a half hour, sometimes an hour at a time. And for three straight days, 72 hours, we read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. It was an impression, an incredible time. A time when we looked at God's Word and read it out loud and let it go forth, just like Isaiah 55:11 says, Let my word go forth, you will not return to me void. You know that verse. But it was a wonderful time. But probably about the second to last year that we did it, we had a meeting with a lot of the folks who were getting involved from different churches. And I had this elderly pastor's wife, the pastor was there as well from a different church, sat there and when we were talking about reading the whole Bible through, she made this comment and kind of fell over backwards in my chair. She says, why do we really need to read the Old Testament? It's not really relevant. We just need to read the New Testament. I'm here to tell you, the New Testament is not complete without the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the foundation beginning with Genesis here. But many people, even Christians, look at it that way. You know, but you might ask as Christians, well, why don't we just read the New Testament then and tell people about Jesus Christ? Well, I'm here to tell you, we don't tell people about Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that only about 2% of evangelical Christians would admit that they've ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's holding us back? Do we not fully really understand what we have here in God? Do we not really understand what God has given us through His whole creation and the incredible giftedness that every good and perfect gift comes from Him? Do we not realize that God has a purpose for you and I this life? You know, we, we're missing so many of the fundamentals of God's life for us. We're missing what God truly intended for you and I to be about. We're missing the doctrines of the Bible and don't really understand them. I'm praying for me and I'm praying for you that as we look at Genesis here, we come to fully understand and begin living out the doctrines and the premises and the precepts of God Almighty. I'm here to tell you, we can learn like never before, I believe, just by studying the first book of the Bible, Genesis. I want to do my part. I think many of you that are doing the... One year Bible here, realize we finished up Genesis this last Thursday and entered into Exodus. What a precious time. And Amy and I are talking about it every day. What did you read today? What did you see today in the Scripture? Let me tell you one thing here that I think is kind of neat about this Bible. And whatever you're doing here, the one year Bible right now gives us kind of a small little chunk. And we realize, oh, this is only about two pages or three pages or maybe four pages the most. And I can read this. So what do we do? We're not necessarily in a hurry to get through it. We're kind of a scenic trip reading through these scriptures here from two different books of the Bible and then also from Psalms and Proverbs. So we're looking through that and we're kind of stopping and saying, hey, I wonder what this means. What does this really mean? That's what God wants us to be. That's when God begins to unveil and uncover things in yours and my heart and mine. 
We begin seeing things in the Bible that we've never seen before. When we're taking our time and saying, God, speak to me today. Show me something in your Holy Word today that I've never seen before, God. And He's going to do it. I believe, your pastor believes 100% that the biggest problem with the American church today is we just do not know God's Word. We don't know it. There's people all varying degrees all over the spectrum. Some know it pretty well, some don't. There's a lot of people that know it very well. I mean, they know the Scripture. They're like walking in encyclopedias. But they just don't live it. Some do. But I believe God gave us His Holy Word here for a very specific reason. That we would come to understand Jesus Christ. I want you to know this right up front here. The whole reason that the Bible was ever written, you know what it is, right? Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason for writing the Bible. The Bible tells us in two different places in the New Testament, I've written these things that you might know. Jesus Christ. Does it really matter, though, if Genesis is true? I gave you a little page on the back of your bulletin there for some notes, but this morning I want to ask and answer three specific questions. Question number one, does it really matter that all of the book of Genesis is true? Question number two, how can I be sure that it's true? And question number three, I don't want you to miss this this morning because I want you to ask this every single sermon at the end of the sermon. I'm going to ask it for you. But I want you to begin to think about this too in a Sunday school lesson. I'm sitting in my Sunday school class and I'm learning some profound things. We've got great teachers and you're going to meet them over the next few weeks here. But I want you to begin asking this question, so what? Okay, you've told me all this stuff, so what? Not so much to be the blizzard to your pastor or to the Sunday school teacher, but so what does this mean to me? God, what are you trying to tell me today? How does this fit in my life, God? How does this change or affect my life, God? Question number one this morning, does it really matter if all the book of Genesis is true and accurate? The answer, yes, 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 a thousand times, yes. Genesis and Revelations are probably the two most disputed and questioned books in all the Bible. A lot of people don't want to read them because they're just hard to understand, they say. Not really. The question for you and I this morning is, where do I stand on the book of Genesis? Where do I truly stand in the book of Genesis? You know, it's interesting in life here that we all stand somewhere. We really do. We all stand somewhere even if we don't know where we're standing. I said for years, and I love this little thought, that we all need to know where we're going to stand before we have to stand there. What does that mean? It means when I get presented with a question, when I get presented with an, a, a judgment call, when I get presented with something that I need to make a decision on, I want to know where I'm going to stand. I want to know how I'm going to handle this based on God's Word and His, holy, and His holiness. Imagine for just a moment this morning if... Uh, one of your friends asked you to get into his car, but when you got in his car, he put a blindfold on you. He said, whoa. He said, well, I'm just going to play a little trick here today. I want to I challenge you with something. So you get in that car, put your seatbelt on, you got that blindfold, can't see where you're going, and you drive around for about an hour, all kinds of turns up and down and all around and over, and over the valley and through the river, through the woods. Through the river, too. But I want you to think of this. Finally, the, the car stops. And he gets you out, takes the blindfold off, and you've got no idea where you're at. No, way you're, no idea where you're at. I want you to ponder two things. You're standing there by the car, but you don't know where you're at. Well, this is true of the Bible, too. In light of the Bible, we all stand somewhere. And I'm going to tell you as your pastor, I don't understand every verse in the Bible. I have to ask questions. I have to look it up sometimes and re, you know, consult other people or consult... Um, commentaries and all kinds of things here to try to figure out what God's Word says. But I want you to understand in the case of the Bible, what is the blindfold? 
the blindfold is that you and I just haven't taken time to dig into God's word and begin digging and digging and digging and trying to understand God in a greater way. We haven't looked at God's word from a perspective of God. How does it apply to me? So what this says this, sir, God? So what? What does that mean to my life? God has an incredible plan for each and every one of us. He desires for you and I to understand where we're going. He, understand, he desires for you and I to know how to stand this world. I'm just absolutely saddened by the fact that when they do some of these surveys out there, some of these Christian organizations do surveys of evangelical Christians, they say today that 56% of evangelical Christians believe that there's more than one way to heaven. Really? What part of the Bible are you reading? I had an opportunity a couple of days ago to talk to somebody that was just a sold-out Christian. Became a Christian a number of years ago. In fact, he became a Christian here at this church years ago on Easter. But just really got confused. Began questioning the inerrancy of God's word. Is it really all true? He began asking questions. Well, how about the canonization? How, how, how do we know that those guys, they're just men, chose the right Bibles to put in, what, right books to put in the Bible? How'd they do that? Questioning all kinds of things about God. It's amazing how easily we can get off course. How easily we can figure out that we don't know where we're standing. I'm here to tell you, if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you know that God's word is true. You know that God's word is his word. Period. In the beginning, God. The Bible tells us in Psalms 11.3, If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The book of Genesis is the foundation for the whole rest of the Bible. It lays the foundation for everything. Great Hall of Fame coach Vince Lombardi probably had as many wins as any coach living in the number of games that he played. Won championships, won two Super Bowls. Phenomenal coach. He was a great motivator. He was one of the greatest coaches by most people's estimation that ever lived. But every season he had some fundamentals that he did, and he had some of the best players in the world on his teams. But every year when football practice started, he began training those players for that next season. You know what he did? He picked up that football and said, Hey, gentlemen, this is a football. He wanted nothing to be left untouched. He wanted the fundamentals to be preached and taught and practiced and preached and talked and practiced over and over and over again. Well, in the realm of Jesus Christ, you know what? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible. This is God's holy word. Do we value this for the value that's intended to be valued? Do we hold on to God's word the way it's meant to be held on to? Are we living in, in light of God's holy word in our daily lives? Do we understand what God meant about all these different issues that we face? What does God think about what's going on in our country here? What does God think about all these social issues that seem to hit the front page in the news every night in, our, in the news? What is God doing in our life here? Am I truly living for God's glory? Genesis means beginning. We say the beginning of what? Well, think about this. Genesis is the beginning of time. It's the beginning of creation, the beginning of man, the beginning of woman, the beginning of marriage. We find the origin of sin here in the book of Genesis. The Sabbath, the family, the labor, civilization, cities, murder, sacrifice, and the promise of redemption. We see all these things in the book of Genesis. Every major doctrine and theology, theological truth that we find in the Bible is found here in Genesis. It all points there. It builds that foundation, the fundamentals for our faith here. I don't know if you know this, but Genesis is the most quoted book in the New Testament. By miles, more than, uh, more than 200 full quotes in the Bible directly from Genesis. 
You wonder sometimes about why the world has gotten so confused? Why we see things that are just so upside down? Without this book, it's always going to be confused. Without this book, we're always going to be upside down and tops tipsy tower turvy, and we're going to live in a confused state. The reason that we're so confused in America today is that we've parked this Bible on the sidelines. The church has relegated its authority over to the outskirts, over to the boundaries on the outside. The church is no longer standing in the middle of society saying, thus says the Lord. The church body no longer understands God's word to a level that they can defend it in public. Why do I believe that life is precious? Why do I believe that God was serious when he instituted marriage? Why do I believe that God desires for me to walk in holiness? All these different things that we see, they all came out of the book of Genesis. Without this holy book, the world does not make sense. I want you to understand this too. It's all the way through Jesus Christ. If Genesis is not totally true, then everything else in the Bible, including Jesus Christ, comes crashing down. I want you to ponder this thought for a second. You know, if the Holy Spirit cannot be trusted with the book of Genesis, how can we ever trust the Holy, Holy Spirit with his salvation through Jesus Christ? If the Holy Spirit can't be trusted for Genesis, how can it be trusted with John 3.16? Our foundation is Jesus Christ. As we come to know Jesus Christ and who he is, we all have received a changed life. We're no longer the same people we used to be. Because of that, you know what? I can realize that God's word means something. God's word is real. Why? Because I'm living proof. I know it just as sure as I'm standing here. How do I know that my name is Gary Stewart? Well, because I've lived it all these years. It's the same with our faith in God. How do I know that God is real? Because I've lived it. I've seen him. He's talked to me. I talked to him this morning. We can come to understand it. But there's also all kinds of worldly ways we can know these things. You know, they always say there's kind of a, a contrast or, a, or a, a, a problem, a diversity between science and the Bible. You know why there's a, a, a diversity between science and the Bible? Because scientists haven't figured everything out yet. I find it amazing when they find out something significant and realize, hey, the Bible said that 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came here, or 4,000 years ago when they wrote Genesis. God has an incredible life for you and I. He has this life, but he wants us to understand life. He wants us to read the instruction manual. He wants us to come to understand it. I don't know who does this in your house. I'll be very honest and confess to you that typically if we can't find out how to work an electronic item, you know who figures it out? My precious genius over here. How does she do it? She pulls out the instructions and does it. Yours truly, I think there might be a few men in this room that are kind of the same way. I don't need the instructions. I'll figure it out. Well, three hours later, Amy, Amy, Question number two, how can we prove that the book of Genesis is true? How can we prove? I want you to know that the credibility of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Son of God completely is linked to the book of Genesis. Completely. You look at the New Testament, you're going to find all over the New Testament Jesus Christ quoting and believing the items of the New Testament. Matthew 19, he said, talks about Adam and Eve. He acknowledged they're real people. But he also said that God created them then he also said that they got married. In Matthew 12, he talks about the devil. The devil is literal. Luke 17, Jesus Christ is quoted. He spoke about Noah, the flood, and the ark. Over and over and over again, guess what? Jesus Christ talks about the book of Genesis, what we see there. 
I want to unpack that. I could have picked a hundred doctrines this morning to unpack for you very quickly here that are found in Genesis that we see in the rest of the Bible. The first one, what does the Bible say about sin? Most of us that are Christians understand that concept, but what does it say about it really? Well, I think most of us understand that Adam and Eve were given an incredible opportunity to live in the Garden of Eden. Incredible. Everything they always needed. Everything. God said, hey, you guys, I want you, he told Adam this, I want you guys to live here, but I have one request. Do not eat of that one tree over there. You have anything else that's yours? The whole thing, everything's yours. Don't eat from that one tree, though. Well, the devil was alive and well there in the form of a serpent. The serpent came and enticed and deceived Eve, and both she and Adam ate from that fruit. Sin entered into the world. When you and I are born, this is called the nature of sin. When you and I are born, we're born with a sin nature. We're born in the sin nature. It's not something we pick up when we start saying no to our mommy at the age of two. We're born into it. Sin is our nature. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ so that we have an opportunity to move out of that sin into the grace of God Almighty through that sacrifice upon the cross. Think about this. We saw sin enter into the, enter into the Garden of Eden there from the very beginning. Verse 3 of Genesis. This is what it says in Romans 5, verse 12. He says, Therefore, as by one man sin entered the world. Jesus Christ talks about sin. We see all these descriptions about sin in the New Testament. We come to understand sin in an in a even more serious way. It was around in the Old Testament. They were big-time sinners, just like we are. But we see the doctrine of sin established in the very first verses of Genesis. What does the Bible say about death? Genesis 2, verse 17 says this. He says, God said to Adam, For in the day you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. He's talking about death. That's the first place you see death mentioned in the New Testament. But he's telling us, because of sin, you will die. Because of you not walking the mark. What is sin? I think most of you know this too as well. Sin in the little form is missing the mark. It's an archer's term. An archer becomes proficient by aiming that bow and arrow and hitting the, taking the arrow and hitting the bullseye of the target. What he's saying here is that God has a bullseye for you and I. He has a standard for you and I to live in. When we shoot our life at that standard, if we miss it, then that's called sin. God has a way for you and I to hit that target. It's through Jesus Christ. It's by walking in righteousness. It's by walking with Him. But we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. God told Adam that by, by eating that tree, you're going to die. Romans 5.12 says this, And death came by sin. This is a big one. This is one that we struggle with here in our culture. What does the Bible say about the sanctity of human life? Why are murder, abortion, and euthanasia wrong? Genesis 1.27 tells us this. It says, So God created man in his own image. What does that have to do with sanctity of life? God made us. God has a purpose for life. As we study the New Testament, as the New Testament's poured into the and, and poured over the Old Testament, we realize that God created us, but in creating us, he, he knew us before He formed us in our mother's womb. He has a plan for our life that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has this incredible plan for people. Every single person in the womb, beginning with the womb, is a person made by God. Why? Because He loves us. Why? Because that's the way he brings people into this world. That God desires for every single person to be valued like he does. 
He values him with everything, including the death of his son upon that cross. The last one here just this morning. What does the Bible say about the need for Jesus Christ to shed his blood for our salvation? I think you remember this. We talk about this when we do the Lord's Supper here. But when Jesus Christ had gathered his apostles in that night in the upper room, he said, this is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 9, the author there says, for without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. Well, where did this all come from? You guessed it. It comes from Genesis. It comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis 3 verse 21 says, God shed the blood of two innocent animals to make a covering for Adam and Eve. He's, he's showing and illustrating to us that the blood of Jesus Christ is going to cover you and I one day too. Cover our sins. Genesis 4, 4 says this, God rejected Cain's offering for sin because it was not a blood offering. I want you to understand this. When you talk about blood in the, New, in the Old Testament, many times it's an illustration for life. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can have life. Because he gave that sacrifice upon that cross of his blood, that you and I have life. It took Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only to pay the ransom and the debt that was so big because of our sin. That was the only ransom that could be paid that you and I might have this life. One last thing, talking about the whole idea, how can we prove this? There's a big secular argument out there that no one can prove the historical reliability of Genesis in verses 1 through 7 because of Noah's flood. I want you to know that's true. We don't have any recorded data. I want you to also ponder the thought of Moses writing the scripture. We realize that Moses wasn't alive during any of this. Towards the end of the Pentateuch, the, actually the second chapter of Pentateuch, first end of Genesis there, first part of Genesis, we see Moses, but he wasn't alive in the beginning of this. How do you know it? God. God inspired him. But I want you to think about this, talking about the first seven verses of Genesis. Because the flood came at the seventh verse there. You know, if we can prove the rest of Genesis, verse 8 through 50, that they're accurate, then we can pretty much assume and take for granted and understand and stand firmly on the fact that the first seven verses must be true too. Why would God tell the truth in the last 42 chapters and not the first seven chapters? God has given us an incredible book here. Finally, question number three. So what? So what does all this mean, Pastor God? What does this mean in your holy word? Every week I'm going to try to answer it, but I also want you to ask those questions, maybe on the ride home or maybe at lunch on Sundays. So what? What does all that mean that we heard today in that scripture? What does it really mean to me as I live this way and as I read this scripture? The bottom line is here in establishing Genesis and understanding Genesis, it begs the question in years of my life, do I really believe or not? Do I believe or not? I think most of us want to have faith without doubt. We're all going to have times in our life when I just really, I need to have faith in God right now. I need God right now. I'm trusting God right now because I can't fix this. The doctors can't fix this, whatever it might be. I'm just trusting God. I want to have that kind of relationship with God that I believe in. And I don't want to have doubt. I want you to understand, so what here? Two verses I want to share with you. Acts 4. It says, There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he may be saved. And then in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I want you to understand that because of Genesis, because of God's holy word, 
I believe that God inspired it, that God wrote it through men, that God canonized it, that God chose those books through men too to put it in the Bible here. We have this Bible. Why? Because God said, this is the Bible I want for my people, for you and I. This Bible has survived all kinds of things, burning it, destroying it, eliminating it, not translating it. You know what happened to that back right after the Reformation. They didn't want to translate the Bible because they were afraid people start reading it and begin believing on their own. They wanted to kind of be the intermediaries between man and, and God. All kinds of people have tried to diminish God's Word, to ignore it, to dismiss it, to counter it, to argue against it. But God's Word prevails. Two things are going to last forever, people's souls and God's Word. God created the world, and you and I know He created you and I. God gave us Jesus Christ, and because of Jesus Christ, we can know with absolute certainty as we grow in the Lord that the Bible is real. Why? Because I see it personally, and I know it personally because it changed me. I'm seeing my life in a new light, and it's because of God's holy word here in Him. I'm praying this year that you and I will continue to grow in the Lord, the nurture and admonition of His Son, Jesus Christ, and we'll realize God's word in a new light this year.